Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. I pray, Lord, that you strengthen your bond with us. I pray, Lord, that we not fall to temptation. I pray that in the coming days that we only draw closer to you to have Jesus Christ formed in us. I pray for the brethren, Lord, who are not here. I pray for the brethren who have strayed away. I pray for them, Lord, who desire you but have no appetite to serve you. And I just pray, Lord, that you just remove whatever scales there are from them that they might see what this thing is about. That we may understand why at times it's dangerous today to stay in the same place. Why we must progress with you. Why we must go forward. Why we must do what you say to do. For you are a God of fruitfulness, of progression, of growth, and of redemption. So I'm praying, Lord, that no man's heart be heard tonight. I'm praying that no flesh be glorified. I'm praying, Lord, that your spirit come upon us, Lord, and if need be, let your power be on display. But, Lord, I'm just asking for an anointing to present this message because I know you gave it to me. And it is important, Lord, as brethren and sisters in Christ, that we keep going. Yes, Lord. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you just strengthen us, that you guide us, that you keep us, that you show us new things, that you bring us into greater understanding as to who you are, that we may have you formed in us, Lord, and not portray the truth of what you want us to do. So in Jesus' name, I pray that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit that is not of you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you cut it down, that you cast it out, that you bind it. And I pray, Lord, that you open the eyes of those who can't see and the ears of those who can't hear, that your word may reach them, that these messages might be anointed, that in the coming days they may give your saints everything that they need. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and you are worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord, that we do these things for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called The Other Side. The other side. And what led me to this particular teaching, the Lord gave me this a couple of weeks ago. But you know, it's just funny how certain words stand out in the Bible and the things that God wants us to do. When you look at the way that the Israelites moved from Egypt unto the promised land, there was always this thing for crossing over. There was always this thing for going from one place to another, but it's like they never fully stayed in the same place. 
So what we're going to talk about tonight, because we talked about this over a year ago, about the veil, what's behind the veil, where we are to go, why when we seem to get closer to the Lord, the resistance tends to pick up. But we got to understand, in order for there to be progression, we have to go through. You have to go through and you have to battle. You have to do the things that God calls you to because this is how, if you think that the devil is just going to watch you move right in close to Jesus and you're not going to have any problems, you're surely mistaken, okay? His plan is to stop you from finishing your course and pursuing Jesus Christ and doing what Jesus tells us to do, okay? So this ought to be a good study tonight because we're going to cover a lot. We're going to go through a lot and... I just think that we got to understand as believers that you can't just stay where you are, okay? And in many cases, we get comfortable, and that's why God, the Holy Ghost, will stir up your spirit to make you move, to make you do more, you know, to lead you in a way that you will go into unfamiliar territory and continue to walk with him. Why? Because this is a walk of faith. That's all this is. This is a walk of trial. This is a walk of tribulation. This is a walk of persecution. This is a walk of victory if we remain with Christ and do the things that he calls us to do. Right. So let's get started. I want to go to Numbers 14. Numbers chapter 14. Actually, let's start in Numbers 13. I want to go there first. Numbers 13, and let's see. Uh, let's start at verse 17, okay? Now, you know that this is the time that the children of Israel were migrating. They were in the wilderness. They were almost at the end of their wilderness, and then they ran into a challenge that kept them from going forward, okay? So this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land. So he sent 13 tribes, believe it or not. There were 13 here. It wasn't 12. There were 13 tribes that Moses sent out. And if you don't believe me, you can go back and count them. Okay, from uh, verse 4 unto verse 15. All right, but there were 13 tribes. And then he's, and Moses sent them uh, to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, get up, get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. So what we got to understand is we talked about in times past that God never gave a commandment for them to go and spy out the land and see what was in it. God wanted them to believe every step of the way. Why? Because when you walk with God, who cares if there are few or there are many? The Bible says if God be for you, who can be against you? You know, he says that he would deliver our enemies into our hands. So whether they be strong or weak, this is a carnal thing. You know, this is a carnal uh, rule or, or, or um, instruction that was given to them to go and check out the land and see what's what. All right. Only one time I think that benefited them, and that was in Jericho. But anyway, this is verse 19, and it says, And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. So this is another issue because, again, if you're going to walk with the Lord, what difference does it make? If God promised you the land, it doesn't matter if the land is good or bad. That means you're not taking God at his word. 
And you see, this is what we do as Christians many times concerning Christ, because he'll tell us, if you pursue me, if you do what I tell you to do, I'll take care of your every need. But what we tend to do is, well, let me just see. Let me stick my foot in the water lightly just to see if it's really hot or cold. You know, let me see if it's just right for me. We've got to learn to believe God, okay? Because everything he tells us to, everything he tells us that he will do, if we do what we need to do, you can guarantee it. God holds his word above his name, all right? So look at verse 20. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether it be wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. Okay, so this is what uh, they're doing where they're trying to um, figure out, okay, and then go and bring back some evidence that this is true. But we know as believers, the Bible tells us, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There was a hope that Abraham would inherit that land. There was a hope that Moses and the tribes would eventually, and Joseph even at that time, hoped that they would be set free from Egypt and that they would inherit the promised land. Okay, so this was a hope. Even long before things were seen, these promises were made. But these guys are acting here on carnal, on, on carnal uh, faith. You know, like they believe that seeing is believing. And that's not the way we serve the Lord. Verse 21. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin. It was really like the wilderness of Sin or Zin unto Rahab as men uh, come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron where Ahimon, Sheshah, and Talmai, the children of Anak were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between, between uh, two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. Okay, and they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. So what we got to understand is that these guys went into the land. They went searching 40 days. They were looking for the fruit. They were looking for whether or not their enemies would be strong or weak. They were looking to see whether the land be bad or good. So what <laughs> the problem here is those that went, you can say into the promised land, went into the spirit. They are those who could tell you that these things are true. They could tell you that, hey, these grapes were so big that it took two men to carry a cluster of grapes. So they could tell you everything that was on the other side. But what they're going to find out is what they have, okay, in the promised land does not accommodate the wilderness. They're two different places altogether. They do not come together. What God gives you in the spirit you cannot bring to the flesh. You cannot accommodate with the carnal, with the, with the soul, the things that are not of God. The two just don't run together. And as Christians, this is why a lot of our fire burns out, because we try and put the carnal with the, um, with the spiritual, and they don't run together. Why they were taken into the wilderness was so they could work the Egypt out of them, that they would eventually believe God in the soul, 
their mind, their will, and their emotions, that they can go over into the promised land believing God. He did that for them, you know, when he took them from Egypt, but he wanted to do it through them. So going out and spying the land turned out to be a negative, not a positive. Because they were supposed to go in and enjoy the fruit, not to inspect the fruit, not to go and look for what could be and what couldn't be. They were supposed to, to take hold of what God gave them, believing him. Okay, so they said they brought this cluster of grapes and all this evidence back. And you're going to see how it turned on them. Because instead of believing God, they were trying to examine whether or not God was true. That's not the way that we live with Christ. We've got to believe. All right, so it says, and they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kedesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and shewed them the fruit of the land. Now, you guys know the story that only two of them found the fruit of the land. Two of them brought back a good report. And they told them and said, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. They brought the evidence to say, hey, this is some good land. When you can get fruit that'll grow as big as, you know, you got grapes that'll be the size of your head. You know, this is good. Verse 28. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Uh, and then, you know, the children of Anak were the giants. They were the Nephilim tribes all the way back from Genesis 6, from the, from the uh, seed of Canaan. And they're actually in the land, you know, inhabiting that area. So he says, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. These are all giant tribes. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, you know, the Bible talked about in Matthew seven thirteen and 14 or through 15, it says that straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. He tells us to enter in at the straight gate. Why? Because many go into the broad gate. So he's making it clear that there would only be a handful of people that believed. And when you look at the history of the Bible, for those who did go forward, for those who did follow the Lord, they were always the minority, never the majority. Gideon's army was 32,000 men. Eventually it was cut down to 300 men. Okay, now out of 32,300, I mean, that's a small percentage. That's less than 10%. Okay, so you had them, and then you later have, you know, just so many cases of people just bailing out and God having to use even Noah, his three sons, and their wives. And then you got the whole world that was lying in wickedness. Okay, so it's only a handful of people that are going to move on. Even if you look at, when we're talking about the other side tonight, if you look at the fact that Noah and his sons, you know, they had to endure the end of the flood. How many wanted to take the journey? How many was willing to help build the ark just to believe God that, that they would go from one end unto the other? 
So you see a handful of people will abide in the ark, which is another you know, um, example of who Jesus Christ is and believe him the rest of the way. You're going to find most people will perish other than go to the other side with Christ because they're looking for carnal sustenance instead of believing God every step of the way. Yeah. No, absolutely, you know, and that's the whole point. So he says, Caleb believed they're well able to overcome it. Now, Caleb and Joshua were two spies that went in. They're the ones that came back with a good report. And Caleb means dog or like mad dog. And Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. So Joshua has the same name that Jesus had, you know, pretty much. And Caleb being like a dog is kind of like faithful, loyal. You know, so it's just funny, interesting. It's interesting how Jesus and a loyal dog are willing to go in and do what they need to do, but everyone else has got fear. All right, so it says in verse 31, but the men that went up with it, I mean, with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report in the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. So these guys are looking at it through a carnal sense. They're seeing these giants. Many people believe the Nephilim at this time were about 36 feet tall. So, I mean, they were huge. All right, They were big individuals. And that would be kind of equivalent to if you look at a grape the size of your head. You know, compared to, you know, your body size, you know, it would be kind of like a 36 tall, yeah, giant with the whatever. So that's about right. But anyway, the point is, he said they're of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, as so we were in their sight. So this is big. This is huge because not only did they see the giants, okay, that were of the giant seed, but they said we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And because of that, so we were in their sight. This is one of the problems with Christians when it comes to getting closer to the Lord, getting full of the spirit, enduring temptation, forsaking the world, moving on with Jesus Christ is because in many cases... We believe that we're too small to do anything about anything. All God is looking for is people that he can fill with his spirit, that his will can be done. But what we tend to do is just look around and, you know, who's coming with me? Who's going to help me out? You know, how do I know I won't get arrested if I serve the Lord? See, this is all this foolishness that these people get into and they believe. So if you see yourself before the enemy as a grasshopper, so you will be seen in the sight of your enemy. And see, this is why they're leaning on the church like they are. If you see yourself as that, then hey, we're going to come and lean on you too. But it's when you walk in the authority. It's when you believe God. It's when you are thirsty and hungry, or hungry for the desires of the Lord. 
to draw closer to him, to get into that promised land, to, in, to inherit eternal life. When you want those things that are over in the land, you will stop at nothing to do it. And I remember in past situations in my life, you know, it was funny. There was one girlfriend I had. It was a sinful relationship, but I didn't want anything to really, I don't know. I kept making excuses to hang around her and stuff like that. I didn't really, you know, feel up to it. And I remember one day she told me, this was, man, 20 years ago. And she said, if it was important enough to you, if I was important enough to you, you would find a way to come and see me. You know, and that was what she said to me. And, you know, I began to think about that later on. Like, that's true. Look at how no matter what happens at work, we somehow make it on time. Look at how no matter what we go through or what we deal with, you know, that we always tend to make time. You can be sick and drag yourself to work. You can be threatened by the boss that you may not have your job much longer. And what do you do? You kick it into full gear on the job. You'll even work overtime if you have to to get it done. You only got a certain amount of time to graduate on time. And what do people do? Give it their all and studying and staying up late at night, burning that midnight oil, making sure that they can get through. So you see, it's the heart of the people that's really faint when it comes to serving the Lord. They got no desire to. Because if Jesus was a big enough deal to you and he tells us to go and preach the gospel, we'd be going and preaching the gospel. We would put his assignment over anything and anyone. So we got to recognize that if we really do desire to make it into the promise, to do the things that Jesus Christ says to do, and it's important enough to you, if eternal life is that big enough a deal to you, you would forsake the carnal life and go and do what the Lord told you to do, if you believe. And that's why I thank God for people like Henry Groover. I thank God for people that are still out there. Sean Buck's dead, Clendenin's dead, Derek Prince is dead. All these generations of people are dying. But the, but the good news is there are still people like Henry Groover that believe the Lord and they're still going, not working anywhere, and God is taking care of their needs. Now, the message tonight is not to get people to quit their jobs. It's to believe God no matter what he tells you to do. But we are so weak, so short on faith. We see challenges and right away we think of our own selves. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. When you start thinking about what's in it for me, what will my life be like? What will happen to my marriage? What will happen to my kids? And I want to say the same thing that, that I said about Moses, having them spies go out and check out the land. If we be in Christ, what difference does it make? But do we truly believe him to be who he says he is? Because if eternal life was him, this is how you know people breathe death. They breathe death. Because if it was really about eternal life, you will be doing what it took to inherit eternal life. Mm -hmm. But because you are more conscious of this world than you are of the world to come, this is where you will base your stock. This is why you don't want people preaching the gospel about crossing over, about getting further into Jesus. This is why you hate the gospel when people try and tell you that, you know, we need to forsake the world and give it all to Jesus because you are speaking and believing in that faith. But if you're speaking to people that have no desire to go over there, what they'll try and do is pick out little weak scriptures to try and support themselves about staying on this side. Yep. That's all it is. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. He said lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He said I will provide everything that you need. 
with your feet, your clothing, whatever it is that you need to do. And people will go right to uh, one, what is that, six and 32 or 31, one of them, or 33. And then they'll go to, see, seek ye the righteousness of God and all these things will be added unto you. Yeah, he'll add a lot unto you, but he ain't talking about all of this. Yeah, he might give you some abundance here to continue his work, not to kick back and enjoy life. That's what people got to understand. It's not about this. It's about there. And this is why the devil will try and use anything, including put those giants in the land ahead of time, because he knew that Abraham was promised that land. So this here is a test of faith. This is a strategic move. This is a chess move. The devil moved the giants there and said, all right, well, let's see if you really want to come in here. You see, but this is what the devil does to you and I. Forget your job. Let's see if you really want to come and serve Christ because you're going to have to forsake the world. Jesus said, he that findeth his life will lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And he's talking eternal life. Okay, so that's something that we need to recognize. We got to give up a life for a life. But see, anything that you're not willing to die for, you're not willing to live for either. And that is a fact. If you, these guys were so worried about themselves instead of what they could have in the land and believe in God, that they couldn't go any further. And this is what you find, excuse me, with people today that won't allow themselves to forsake themselves, that they can give it all to Christ and he can do what needs to be done because you're worried about yourself. And this is why people don't cross over. So let me make the point. This is uh, chapter 14 and verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? So you see, these guys are not grateful for getting their behinds whipped in Egypt and being treated like slaves, and all these things happened to them. I mean, the Egyptians were raping the women and all of that, man. They were doing all sorts of stuff, you know, killing the firstborn, doing all this stuff to try and keep the population short, you know, kind of like what you see going on today. But they didn't even understand what freedom was. They enjoyed their slavery. And this is why when you talk to people about forsaking the world, they enjoy the slavery that they live in. They enjoy the world. I hate this place, so I can't wait to cross over. I want to go over and inherit what God wants me to, not myself. Verse 3, And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? So why don't they just hawk and spit in the Lord's face after all he's brought you from? And this is what's amazing about us. Most Christians don't change anything about their lives when they get saved. Most Christians continue living the exact same life after being even baptized in the Spirit, but they want to incorporate the world with Christ. How do you do that? Okay, so if it was really about being born again and not living in sin, why, why do we believe that working the nine to five every day, doing what God tells you, you know, or, or trying to do what God tells you, um, to mix in with the schedule that you have in the world. What would be the purpose of being saved if they stayed in Egypt and all they were allowed to do every now and then is go out to worship Jesus out in the field somewhere or worship the Lord and then go right back to their slavery? 
what would the game of being free would have been done? Because once they reached the promised land, what did he do? He made them a people that were self-sustaining. All they had to do was obey, and the land contained everything that they needed. He gave them kings. They were a choice people. They were not to live like the heathen. It wasn't his job that they would have a king either. It was his, you know, I mean, it wasn't his call. He wanted them to believe him. And these people are ready to go back to Egypt and then try and live that way. So you see, they did not want to be liberated. What does salvation mean? It means to be set free. It means to be liberated. It means to be brought from death unto life. So how are we saved if we're staying in the world, doing what the world says to do, and the world dictates when you get the chance to serve God? That's something we better think about because these guys didn't want to look. They saw the challenge and didn't want to step over into it. But you see, but they were so ready to go back to slavery where they wouldn't have to do anything. And this is this is serious. So they said, you know, they, it'd be better to go back to Egypt than serve the living God. And they said one to another, let us make a captain. Let us have a pastor. Let us have some minister giving me false doctrine and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. So these two guys believe God, and they're upset now because they're like, man, you know, I can't believe this. After all the Lord has done, parting the Red Sea, providing for us wherever we were, everything that we had to do, and we see these giants and we're going to give up? I mean, they just wiped out the Egyptian army and the God, God even opened the earth and killed people at this point. You know, I mean, even in, um, what was that? That was around the time of they built the golden calf and all this yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. Moses seen the Lord came back with the Ten Commandments. No, he didn't do that yet. But the point is, is that, you know, he was already dealing with this stuff and we're, they're still afraid. They're, no, actually he did, I think. But they were too afraid. What's that? Yeah, it did. It did because that was Exodus 34. This here is Numbers 14. But Moses, you know, there were so many things that the Lord had done for them already that all they had to do was believe. Why would God pull you out of all of that? You know, just so that you can die where you are. But this is the mentality of people that are serving two masters mm -hmm. stuck to the world. I promise, guys, we're going to make the point on the other side. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces... Uh, I'm at verse 7. Uh, they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, and he will bring us into the land, then he will bring us into the land, and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. And this is what God wants us to do. Man, don't worry about what the world has got that they're going to throw in front of you. Man, God is with you. He didn't save you so he could leave you. He saved you so that you might save another. So he says, don't fear them. This is Caleb talking. But all the congregation bade stone. I mean, bade stone them with stones. 
And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Don't think while we haven't been ministering, we haven't had these stones thrown at us. Okay, though, everybody that is not willing to cross over to get to the other side will pick up stones in their hand and they're going to stone you with all sorts of words or even leaving the group or whatever they can do because they've got no desire to serve the living God. This is exactly what happens when you tell people the truth. A slave, if he's used to his slavery, he doesn't want to be free because he doesn't know how to sustain. And that's why we've got to believe God no matter what. I've had this feeling before. Surrounded by people that are ready to stone you for telling them the truth. All right, verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will I be er they believe? Will it be er they believe me? For all the signs which I have shewn them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. Now, what the children of Israel did to go into the land was pretty much a lifetime for you and I. But, you know, this is why Paul tells us later on not to grieve the Spirit of God, not to frustrate the grace of God, because God wants us to, to get equipped, get built up, and move with Him. But when people are stagnant, when they don't want to leave, when they stay where they are, and then they'll say, well, I don't believe God wants us to do this, that, and the third. That was somebody else's call. You see, this is how you can grieve God. God said, man, how long will I bear with this evil congregation? These people are frustrating me. They won't listen to anything I'm telling you. They don't want to believe. They just want to stay in their little crib with their pacifier and be tucked in at night. They don't want to grow to the point of receiving meat, walking with Jesus, and doing what God says. I felt the, the spirit grieved by me and my unwillingness to go forward. So he says, I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people and thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them day by day, um, by daytime a pillar of a cloud, and 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 in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all these people as one man, then the nations will have heard the fame of thee, or will speak, saying, because the Lord will not be able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them. Therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. So you see where Moses is right now, and this is why he was a minister of the wilderness. Because, you know, the wilderness ministers, they're good at 
pulling you out of the world. They're good at helping you to understand that you don't have to take a lot of things sitting down. They're merciful with you. You know, they care for you. They want to see you make it. But you see, Moses is at this place right now where most people are. Okay, like when the Lord says he wants us to do things and we choose not to do it, this is where the Lord finds himself saying to us, you know, I mean, when you tell people what the Lord wants them to do, they'll get to that place of, yeah, but I don't think God, you know, because we all have to grow in the way that the Lord wants us to. So I don't think he has a problem with what I'm doing in my daily life. I mean, I go to church and I give him time. And you see, they're still looking for the Lord to feel this way after 10 years, after five years, after seven years. They still want the Lord to rock them to sleep and have this feeling of, well, you know, we'll get around to it. Don't worry about it. When the Lord is calling for us to have ever increasing faith. Okay, so the Lord's mind is already made up. Moses is here trying to push the Lord to do more and to call for more, but it's not working. Look at verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So what is God worried about right now? His namesake. It is not in God's will that people get to step on the, on the church and wipe their feet on them like a doormat to be trodden down. God's name is too great to deal with a situation such as this. So God is worried about his name. So he said, hey man, I've heard. I will pardon unto what you said. I've done that before in the past. But what I'm recognizing is through this people, my will won't be done. Not because I'm not who I say I am, but because of who these people think I am, no matter what I show them. Okay, so this is the place where God is saying, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm done. So he says, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, what God has done, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these 10 times and have not hearkened unto my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and have followed me fully. So not followed him sometimes. He followed him fully. It's important that we understand it. He didn't say, now my servant Caleb, who had another spirit that followed me more than you all. He didn't say that. He said that followed me fully. Mm -hmm. uh, him will I bring into the land wherein, wherein to he went and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do unto you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. So what you understand is, God said, turn around, 
get back into the wilderness. You know what, guys? You don't want to fight for me. You don't want to preach the gospel. You don't want to do what I'm calling you to do. You don't want to minister unto others. Well, guess what? Your wish has come in. You do not have to do it anymore if you so choose, because I recognize I can't do it through you. Do you guys want to go back into the wilderness? You can go back to Egypt for all I care. That was the way God started feeling about this, but he made it clear that he will bring the children into the land, 20 years old and under. Why? This is not going to be an old person's movement. God has been trying to move his church for some time, but the church and the elders and all these individuals that will not fight for the land, that have given up their fight, that they're too old in the battle, that won't pursue what God says, they handed the devil the keys. Hey, man, I don't want to fight anymore. Let's just love each other. Let's just go along to get along. And what happened? God is just like, you know, they handed the devil the keys. And God said, you know what? I'm going to raise a generation that will obey, that will go over, that will be courageous and believe me. So God's will is going to be done. But he recognized these guys probably spent too much time in Egypt. You know, I wanted it for them. I wanted them to come in. But they chose not to because they could not. They would not let the Egypt come out of them. And that's why if you go to Hebrews 10, the Bible speaks about a new and living way. Pursuing the Lord. Being so distanced from religion. Not even being, you know, going according to what the world wants you to do or the enemy is telling you to do. But, but seeking God for every little thing that you need. But I'm telling you, you know how many people know the truth but won't tell their pastor the truth? They won't go forward because they're afraid, because they've given in to this Catholic church etiquette where the pastor is somebody incredibly special and everybody else is just a laity. Man, that's garbage. But this is what God is fed up with and he's ready to make a move. You want to say something or no? No. All right. So he says, doubtless... Ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now notice, God even knew Moses was going to frustrate him. Notice, he didn't even mention Moses. He said Caleb and Joshua. So he even knew that Moses was to the place of, he's around his end too. I just recognized that. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. So he said, okay, so you said, you know, what about our wives and our kids? Will God have us to die? God said, okay, because you're their parents and you made that decision. Don't worry about it. You go off and do what you want to do now because you don't believe anyway. But what I'm going to do is your kids, because they had to stay in the land because of you and they couldn't go forward. I'm going to pull them out, and I'm going to have my work done through them. Man, what a God. He said, you despised it, but I'm going to take care of your kids. Verse 32, but as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. So what are we doing now, even as children of the wilderness, believing God? We are bearing the whoredoms of our generation and before. We're dealing with it. We know that there's no Christmas in church. We know that. We know there's no Easter and all this stuff going on. We know that 
You're not supposed to be sitting in a pew for 40 years, not maturing to the place of Christ in you. So we're tolerating it. We're living in it. We're enduring it. But what we intend to do is cross over. We can't speak for everybody else. But what our goal is, we know that we can't sit here. Because that's the thing that people don't understand about the wilderness and the soul. You see, when a person leaves the world, they go right into religion. That's the, that's almost the, the, <laughs> that's the thing that most people do. They get saved and they run right to your nearest church. And there comes a point where you're supposed to outgrow the church. Um, well, out, outgrow the church system. Okay, the worldly church system. But you'll always be a part of the church because God wants you to be the church. But where a lot of people do, they'll run right into religion and they'll sit there and they'll become entertained. But then you'll find a small remnant that will say, man, I can't do this. When am I going to get to the point that Christ lives in me? I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm sorry. This one or that one. It's time for me to start my ministry. God is calling me to do these things that he's telling me in the word of God. But you see other people, they'll sit there for 40 years, never graduating, never maturing to the place of Jesus Christ living in you and working through you, never winning a soul. When we found out the statistics of what soul winning was, man, it was sad. It was sad to even look at that, that most people have never won a soul to Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. never even ministered the gospel. It was like in the high 70s or 80s, man, almost 90%. Because they go there, they get entertained, and they just live in the church life. But you got to get to the point of maturing and Christ being your head alone. Right. All right? There's nothing wrong with having pastors and prophets and all that. They have their place. But the end game, because the only reason you have a prophet, apostle, and all that is for the perfecting of the saints. To do the work of the ministry yourself. This isn't just about sitting in there for 50 years. All right, so we're bearing in Hortums 34. After the number of the days in which ye search the land, even 40 days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. So you're going to know God ain't with you in these 40 years. That's what he's pretty much telling you. I broke that promise. With you guys, I'm not with you. The only reason why I'm going to sustain you for these 40 years is because there's a younger generation and there's others in the mix. But look at how being with those who will not go, look at how it holds you back. Look at how you can have the faith to go forward, to cross over, to do what God says. And other people will talk you out of it. Well, I don't know if we should do that yet, man. I've seen people get arrested. I mean, and you know, that was other people's call. But see, you don't need that doubt. Because when those 13 or 11 spies came back with, with, their, um, with their report, Look at what happened. The fear and the unbelief spread through the whole congregation. Now, if they would have all come back with a good report and said, yeah, yeah, we can take the land. We can believe God. Let's do this. They would have done it. But God didn't tell them to spy out the land. He said to believe him. Mm -hmm. So when some people say, well, they had to be in the wilderness for 40 years so that they could mature, that wasn't God's call. God took them through that wilderness that they might believe him and learn how to war, that they would believe him. But people are always looking for years, you know, upon years before they even think about taking a footstep out there. And what is the point in even being saved? I'm not saying that everybody's going to mature at the same rate. But what, what needs to be made clear here is God is expecting them 
to take the land now. And they are choosing not to because of their unbelief. Yes, sir. And also with that, because they didn't obey God and decided to spy out the land. And because, as we know, people, especially the people of the children of Israel, would always scrutinize everything that they did. Mm -hmm. And so if they just had the faith to go in when he said to do it, the people would have gone in. But they were gone for about six weeks. If you count the 40 days, that's about six, seven weeks. It gave them time to doubt. Mm -hmm. So it gave them time to, what's taking them so long? Why haven't they come back yet? It puts thoughts in people's minds instead of just, you know how we in our own individual lives, if we say we're going to do something and we don't do it right then and there, all of a sudden it gives you time to start questioning in your mind. And there's something about six weeks there's something about six and a half weeks. Even for people that have left this ministry, they usually last about six weeks. Mm -hmm. Those who are not very serious in learning and going forward with Christ, somewhere around six weeks, six and a half, you start to see them peel back. It's almost like that number six represents man and beast. Mm -hmm. You know that they just won't go forward, but you're absolutely right. People will look at Stephen and say, man, he was saved six months. Okay, so they, you know, but they'll look at uh, Jesus and the disciples for three and a half years and, well, I got about three and a half years. Then I got about 10 years. You're not supposed to go at the rate of somebody else. You're supposed to be maturing in the Lord yourself. Stephen saved six months. Isn't that a call? Isn't that something? Six months before his face was like an angel. He's out there on the streets performing miracles and doing everything God says. And he meets his end. But God was pleased because Stephen crossed over. Stephen went as far as he could go with the Lord. But man, a lot of us are just stagnant in this wilderness and they're not crossing that Jordan River. They don't care. You can go. But see, they try and hold on to you too. No, stay with me. No, you got to understand that we got to wait and we got to, you know, we got to figure things out. And, you know, God loves us and he's going to take us gradually. You see, but I'm not, I was never looking for it to be gradual. Before I came into the ministry, it took me about two and a half, three years. You know, that is that was around the number for me learning in the Lord. But if I could have gone out there sooner, I would have. It was just the Lord telling me, well, you got to, you know, you need some maturing. All right, I got to work on you a little bit before I get you out there because you need to learn. Mm -hmm. I put you as a teacher. You're going to learn and do what needs to be done. But I wanted to be out there after learning two scriptures. I wanted to, I mean, I was just, Lord, we'll figure the rest out. Just let me do it, you know? And I felt like even when I did come into the ministry, I was dumb as a box of rugs. You know, I was out there preaching and doing whatever, but the Lord was still growing with me. And I still got more growing to do. I'm not looking to stop where I am. And I'm telling you, people that will not go forward, they are killing you. Yeah. Verse 35, and the Lord um, hath said, I will surely do it unto all the evil, this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed and there shall and there they shall die. And the men of Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. So you see their unbelief spread. And that's why when unbelief is in here. Man, you either got to go somewhere or you got to get that mess out of here because you're not going to have me believing like you, okay? I, I know God from my resume and what he's done, and I'm going to continue to trust and believe him more. That's right. 
So even those men that did bring up the evil report unto the land died by the plague before the Lord. But, but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, still lived. Why? Because they were seeking God. This is kind of like, in many ways, for those who continue in God's word, who continue to grow, who continue to seek and thirst and hunger after righteousness, the Lord said they would be filled. So it says, And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here and will go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. So now that God had to already deal with them and he already proclaimed what he proclaimed, now they recognize that there is no life but eternal life, which is what a lot of people are going to do on Judgment Day. They are going to, they're not going to believe that there's eternal life until they die and they're standing there before the face of the Lord. Now that it's time to judge a situation, now you want to go back and do what's right. Hey, man, we got to understand what this grace is for. Okay, so now that they're afraid, they recognize they've sinned. Now they change their minds and want to serve the Lord. But you see, it took fear. It took threats. It took God giving up on them for them to want to do it. Those are not the people that God is looking for. God is looking for those who will believe him because he is God, not because he's going to condemn them if they don't. That's kind of like whipping a stubborn beast or, you know, some, um, you know, some wild animal that's got to get beaten and tamed. God is not looking for that. He's not looking for a slave to make you do it. He's trying to show us through relationship that he is God and that he is good, that we will pick up his nature by his spirit and want to serve him. Okay, so um, verse 41. And Moses said, Wherefore now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. So you see, transgression against the Lord does not prosper. What is transgression? Willful sin. When you know you should be doing certain things and you choose not to. 42. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you that ye be not smitten before your enemies. So he's, Moses is saying, don't bother now because God is not with you. Your enemies will destroy you. God has given up on these people. And I know a lot of people hate to imagine God that way, but that's why we're told not to frustrate the grace of God, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Quench not the Spirit of God. Why? Because if you do, then, you know, the Holy Ghost will eventually find someone else that he could work through. That's why Paul says, pray without ceasing. You know, ever increase in faith, from faith to faith, glory to glory. All right, so he says in verse 43, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. Okay, so there comes a point of no return. All right, Hebrews 6 talks about this, and Hebrews 10 talks about this. It's not up to us to determine that. God does have grace and mercy, and it endures forever. But God also speaks about the reprobate mind. What is a reprobate mind? A mind that is disqualified, that is rotten, uh, rotten to the core. You know, remember when Eli did what he did? 
you know, and he didn't um, judge his sons. After a while, Eli ended up falling back and dying, breaking his neck. And what did uh, the, the uh, daughter who understood what was going on, she named the child Ichabod, which meant the glory of the Lord has departed. Yeah. That's what happened to Samson. Samson played around with harlots, would not go forward. And what happened? He had his anointing clipped. And then he was just a normal man. And Samson didn't know that God wasn't with him. So he had to pray to get that anointing back that God would destroy his enemies. Right. All right. So he says, be first 44, but they presumed to go up unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. So as you can see, these guys want to now go and serve the Lord. Moses is telling you, man, there's no point. Don't even bother at this stage of the game because God is done with you. All right, verse 45. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt in that hill, and smote them and discomfited them even unto Horma. I mean, that meant that those giants, when it says discomfited, I would love to know the, the definition of that because there might even have been some, you know, crazy stuff that went on. Let me look that up real quick. But that's interesting. But you see, God gives us time to yield to him and to want him and to seek him. Mm -hmm. But if we choose not to, you know, it doesn't work when we get time for God. It's when God calls. It's when God tells you to step up and do what I'm calling you to do. It is not what you want to do at the appointed time. Why? Because each day is not promised to us. Right. The Bible tells you that. You're not going to just have all your fun that you want in life. And then when you know you're on your deathbed, now is the time to give it all to Christ. It doesn't work that way. But you see, you got people that will think that way. Well, I'm meant to live my life as I want to be and do what I want to do. And then when I get ready, you know, I'll go when I feel like it. For whatever reason, my tablet's not working right now. But anyway, I'm going to move on. I'll get back to that in a little bit. All right. But right now I want to go to, let's move on. Let's go to Judges. Uh, let's go to Judges 10. Not Judges 10, sorry. Let's go to Joshua 5. Joshua 5 I want to go to right now. And we're going to make this point about the other side. You see, because they were not willing to go and get the good of the land and battle through for a breakthrough, they were not allowed to move over to the other side. You got the definition? Yeah, it's uh, Hebrews 38.07. It means to beat, uh, crush by beating, crush to pieces, uh, crush fine. Um, kind of sounds like when Jesus says, if you fall on me, you'll be broken, but if I fall on you, I'll break you into pieces. Or Grind you to powder. Uh, beat with hammer. So it's basically like it... it they tortured them. Yeah. Now you see, all they had to do was believe God. Mm -hmm. But instead, they didn't want to go. They made God angry to the point to where he says, I'm done with you. And then they want to go up to the hill. All right, we'll go up there. And what did the Lord say? I mean, what did Moses say? Don't bother. The Lord's not with you. You're going to be killed. Mm -hmm. You might as well enjoy your 40 years in the wilderness while you still can. But they said, no, we're going to go up anyway. So see, this is about yielding to the Spirit. This is not doing what we want to do when we feel like doing it. Yeah. Because now that they went, it's too late. 
And they went up to the hill, and Moses, the Bible says, departed. He went his way. Like, all right, y'all don't want to listen or whatever. We're going back to the wilderness because God's not ready for this generation. But they tried to go. And what happened? Beat up, tortured, I mean, crushed by the giants when all they had to do was just believe God. Yeah. So you see, they ended up meeting their fate anyways. You know, the thing that they feared is the thing that ended up happening to them. Unbelievable. So this is Joshua 5. Let's look at verse 1. Now, they're a little bit further along, uh, headed towards the promise. This is after. This is just around the time they're heading in. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward. So where are the Amorites? On the side of Jordan westward. They're on the other side. And all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until uh, we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So what we got to understand is when you do seek the Lord, when you do want to cross over, when you are ready to walk in the spirit with Christ and you start pursuing that, you start getting down on your knees for real prayer and fasting, all of a sudden, everybody's having a barbecue. All of a sudden, your wife and your kids will start acting crazy. Your phone's ringing off the hook. Why? Because the devil's going to try and do whatever it takes to keep you from the other side. Because if you go in there and believe in God, he knows that you're going to be like Christ. Mm -hmm. So what he needs to do is cut your life source, distract you, give you a job making $150,000 a year. Hey, whatever you need, as long as you don't believe God and come over here. So it said, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So at this point, Israel started kicking butt. They started winning battles and fighting with Joshua because Moses is gone now. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in the earlier, yeah, this is around the time they're approaching Jericho. So as you can see, the others are, the giants are scared. They done heard what God can do. And this is how the giants or these demons today will end up knowing you. Remember what they told Paul? Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? Yep. Okay, so they know when you are someone that is after Christ, your name will get out. All right, let me continue. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. So what is this? This is a type of latter rain. This is a type of baptism in the spirit. Okay, because they're about to cross. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of their foreskins. And this is, oh, and this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. So what is Joshua doing? Preparing a new breed. He's circumcising them and moving on with them. Verse 5. Now all the people that came out that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. Why? Because they're not going. Okay? You know, these people are not going to be circumcised. This is a new breed. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed. So he didn't even want them in the battle. 
if you're a man of war from the past and you have spoken against me and forsaken me and you sat here and wasted my time, you're not going to be in this new army. We cannot use unbelief in this war. I'm sorry. If you're somebody not willing to go forward and do what you need for Christ, you're not willing to cross over. We don't need anybody rooting for us from the wilderness. We need soldiers that are ready to cross the Jordan to go into the promise. We don't need all that. We don't need any more fans. We don't need any more hallelujah praise. Amen. Preach it, brother. Preach it. What about you getting in that battle with me? When people talk about we'll pray for you while you're out there, save your prayer. Because what we need right now is boots on the ground. We need people that are willing to go. We need people that are willing to do. We need people that are willing to put themselves out there for Christ that other people may be reached. So you don't need unbelief in the army. All right. Um, verse 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord sware that he would not shew them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey and their children whom he raised up in their stead. So who raised them up? God raised up, okay? A new generation to take um, the place of the older one. Then Joshua circumcised for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Now this is big too. This is how God gets us ready. Now remember, when we become born again, God separates us slowly from the world. And that's why he says, that they made their abode in their places in the camp until when they were made whole. You see what I'm saying? You cannot enlist in war until you are made whole. Why? Jesus um, was did the same thing 40 years in the wilderness. What did it, that's what, I mean, 40 days, sorry. He was 40 days in the wilderness and he had to make sure that the flesh was dead mm -hmm. so he could return in power of the spirit. So when we get born again, God wants to get us right to make us whole so that we can enlist in war. If we have no understanding of what the battle is for or why we should have the spirit, that we need to mature in Christ being the end game and becoming the church and not just attending church. When we reach that place with Christ, then we can enlist in his army. Yeah. Christ being formed in you. Verse nine. And the Lord said unto Joshua this day, have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt? He took away the sin from off you. Wherefore, the name of this place is called Gigal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gigal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the corn, I mean, old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So we talked about this before, why God would not allow them to get any more manna from the wilderness is because, guys, get ready, you're going home. Okay, you're getting ready to come into the land that I gave you. So there's no need for handouts. 
Okay, there's no need for a little something here and there. That was only to sustain you in the wilderness. So he said, make sure you eat all this stuff up because it's not going into the promised land. So the food that sustained you in your soul, the food that sustained you in Egypt, the food that sustained you in the wilderness, you can't take that food into the promised land because it's no good for you. The faith that you had in the wilderness is not going to be the faith that takes you into the promise. That was enough to get you through the wilderness. But now we have to have a faith, believing God, following Joshua, who is Yeshua, who is Jesus Christ, a type of Christ, to go into the land and take it. Okay, so he said, hey, don't bring that in here anymore because you're not going to have that. You're not going to eat from that. Now it's time to eat from the land the Holy Ghost, and it shall come to pass, I mean, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, art thou for us or for our adversaries? So notice, Joshua was by Jericho, okay? He's, he's in pretty deep right now. He's by Jericho, so they're in the land of Canaan. Okay, he's over there, and who meets him? A man on the road with a sword. And he said, are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? And he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto, unto his servant? So who did he meet here? He met a Christophany, which is Jesus Christ. He saw the Lord here as he got ready to get into the battle and they just crossed over. Look at who was there to greet them. And that's why when Stephen did what he did and he was stoned, he was able to look up into the heavens. The veil was pulled back and he saw Jesus Christ standing on the right hand to, to welcome him home. So you see, God is not going to let you fight the giants by yourself. He's not going to let you deal with the world and the demons by yourself. He's going to be there to lead us into the battle, but we've got to believe. We've got to believe. Everybody wants Jesus, but nobody wants to get in the fire. The Hebrew boys, where did they find Jesus? In the fire. Okay, so you're not going to get God outside of the fire. And this is why Christians can't grow, because they are not willing to walk the walk that Christ walks. If Jesus is walking towards the promised land, if the Holy Ghost is leading us back to God, because he's the only way back. And we stay in Egypt or we stay in the wilderness. You think he's just going to stay there and wait for you? No, he's going to find someone else that wants to go. God is not going to pull you away from that which you enjoy doing yep. if you so choose. Verse 15, And the captain of the Lord of hosts said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standeth is holy. And Joshua did so. So you say you want to walk with the Lord, you got to go as he goes. When he's ready to go in the battle, you got to be ready to go with him. Okay, and I'm not trying to paint messages of God doesn't work with us. He does. But a lot of people will not cross that Jordan River. They just won't. And that, that tells you that that's a sensual, soulish, earthy, worldly person that will not go into the land because they don't even believe it's there. They don't even believe that, they're, that you know, everything God promised, he will fulfill. All he wants is a willing vessel. Let's go to Joshua 24. And let's begin in verse 1. 
because you're going to see this crossing over. We've already seen what the Lord has to, what the world has to offer. We've been going around this in circles. It's time to just believe God. Do what we need to do. Get full of the Spirit and cross over. What are you still looking at this for? You think it's going to remain, you know, it's going to change? This is life. If you've lived at least to the age of 30, you've seen the life at least two times. You've seen the world at least one and a half times. This is it. This is it. You probably graduated from high school and college. You got your career. You got your wife and kids. You've probably been married twice, depending on who you are. But I'm just saying these are things that you've been around the block. Mm -hmm. All right? Once you're about 30 years old. And God doesn't intend for it. Why do you think when Jesus was 30, he, was, um, he went to go get baptized? Okay, I've seen it all. I was around. All right, I recognize everything that needs to go on. So the second cycle of my life is going to be ministry. And God can get to you sooner than that if you so choose to follow him. That is very true. But it's what, and we've discussed this numerous times in the past, but one of Satan's master strokes is, is that he's condemning people and he's confining people to their church buildings. Instead of us, instead of people trusting and believing in the Lord, mm -hmm. it's, it's no longer... You can just simply believe because a pastor reads from the King James Bible and is telling you the truth. Exactly. You know, we got to know this word for ourselves. And our, our relationship with Jesus has to be sure. It is a growing, but it has to eventually be 100% sure. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. You're right. You know, so it's just one of those things that we got to continue to walk with Christ. You know, this is uh, Joshua 24. Look at verse 1. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. So Joshua called everybody. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So he's making clear. Abraham got in because Abraham crossed over. Okay, Abraham's father was an idolater that served Nimrod. You can read the book of Jasher and get the full story on that. But he says, your fathers of old time, they dwelt on the other side of the flood. They worshipped other gods. So he's now instructing them what they need to have on this side. And then he says, and I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. <laughs> but Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. So what you see here is God plagued Egypt and then brought them out. Okay, so he made Egypt a place that is uncomfortable. He made it a place that they would know this place is cursed. Okay, there's nothing that you can have here. That's why he sent the ten plagues on Egypt, to show people that God is one against the world until he's stronger than the world. But you see, these people didn't want to believe. But 
Everybody that he's used, he's making the point. I took them away from that. I didn't leave them on the other side of the flood. I took them beyond the flood. I took them to the other side. All right, so he says in verse uh, 6, And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after you, um, after your fathers and your chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. So what do we recognize here? When you try and leave the world, the devil is going to come running after you. So you see, God parted the Red Sea. That was their first crossing over. That was to be baptized. They were leaving the world behind, which was Egypt. When it came time for them to cross the Jordan, that was a baptism by fire because they were going into the promised land. So you see, we've got to grow with Christ. All right, verse 7. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. So, you know, that's really interesting because Russ Dizdar talked about it. I've heard you talk about it. And I remember some of my experiences where when you decide to follow the Lord and you're born again, you said demons came and visited you in your apartment. You think they're going to let you go? Russ Dizdar said he was laying on his couch and he had a hoofed being, you know, walking across the floor in his living room. He thought because he had given his life to the Lord and he's just sitting back, laying on the couch like, Lord, I'm glad I'm with you. Man, as soon as he got ready to go to bed, he heard this being with hooving feet scraping across the floor coming towards him. And he said he knew what it was. So he began to cry out to the Lord. And he said, I cried and I was just laying down and I went to sleep. You know, he said the next morning I woke up, there was peace. But one thing those demons are going to do is if they can't convince you, you know, if they can't convince you to come back, they'll they'll try and use intimidation to get you to go back. But if you choose not to, you know, you think the devil's just going to watch you, la, 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 you know, skip off. Wait a minute, after all the fun we had, after everything that we have done, you think you're going to eat for free, and then you're going to come and join up with the Lord to fight against me? He's going to come after you. I remember some of my experiences. I fell on two years. I mean, I'm talking about a hard life where everybody turned against me in my life. And I mean, my life was headed for a downward spiral. I had sunk as low as I can go because the devil was just telling me, if you turn back, I'll make everything right again. And I said, you know what? I'd rather drown than to go back to where I was, you know, than, than to pursue the Lord. Yes, sir. It's interesting how his story coincides with mine because I was laying in my bed and, you know, I, I really didn't know how to pray at that time. I was still learning. Mm -hmm. I'm laying in my bed. I'm like, Lord, please put me to sleep. Please, please put me to sleep because you can feel the presence of the demons. Oh, yeah. Them, you can feel them. Mm -hmm. And my cat even heard one of them. Yeah. So it's just, and with the, real quick with the experience with demons too that I want people to get an understanding because I've experienced this as growing and maturing in Christ depending on what you did in the world some of those demons like it says in the book of Matthew they will come back around mm -hmm. and I've had certain demons try and come back around and see mm -hmm. if I'm still living for the Lord mm -hmm. so depending on what you did certain demons will continuously circle back I believe until you are sanctified they will continuously circle back mm -hmm. and see if you're still living for the Lord 
and, mm -hmm. and try and come back upon you. And even in the process of the past four and a half years, I've still had demons being pulled out of my life. It, because what we're talking about now, tonight, is progressing in Christ, because you're crossing yeah. over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you cross over, the Lord will deliver you from things. There comes a point, guys, when the Lord expects you to have more faith. Mm -hmm. That's what this is about. Not sitting where you are forever. Only God knows when that time is. But the point is, is God wants growth. Yeah. He talks about fruitfulness. He talks about progression. You know, he said any tree that doesn't bring forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So God wants progression. And it's not that you can't do it. It's whether you're willing to labor in his vineyard like he said. All right. So this is verse uh, 8. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelled where? On the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Why? So they could have more faith. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab. So you see, as you continue to go, you're running into stronger enemies that are coming up with new strategies to stop you from crossing over. So he says, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, and the Parasites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. So as you can see, the enemy, no matter where you go, whatever levels, the devil's going to fight you. So man, I ain't letting you go that far. Verse 12, And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. So these hornets are a type of angels. God sent his fleet of warriors to come and fight for them to drive out the enemy. That's what God does with the Holy Spirit. We don't even realize the angels that are warring around you and I every day for the decisions that we make. But he's saying, man, I sent the hornet, I sent everything, a unit, you know, to come and deliver you, to free you. So God knows that we're going to have to fight our way in. He said um, in verse 13, And I gave, oh, and I have given you a land for which ye did not labor. So you didn't even have to work for it. He gave it to you. And cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them. And I mean, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted, do not ye um, eat. Like, don't, aren't you guys eating from it? Do you not see that I'm sustaining you the more that you're giving me? Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on where? The other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. So that's what Joshua is trying to tell the people that, hey, you can always go back. There's always something that will try and make you turn back around. But if you've been down that road, if you've lived it, if you've dealt with it, and you fought this far to get to Christ, what are we doing standing still? Don't you realize every level you go to, there's a higher level demon, principality, power, spiritual wickedness that you've got to break through to get to the land. And not just to have it, but to keep it. This is the other problem that the children of Israel had. When they received the land, when they got the spirit, they stopped warring. They stopped fighting. They stopped looking for sustaining what they had. And they handed it right back over to the enemy because they got comfortable. And if that's the case, why even, excuse me, why even cross over? Why even come to the other side? What would be the point behind that? Why leave a place to know that your journey is not yet done, but yet you're basking in the sun forgetting about all you went through? And this is what the Bible speaks about, leaving your first love, going on to other things, doing things that don't profit. Solomon wrote 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes about how, how this world is nothing but vanity. And we got to, yeah, well, that was in his time. But see, we came up with a new doctrine where God will allow things from the other side to come over and we coexist until God doesn't want you to have it anymore. That's a lie. You know, that's why he says in verse 15 again, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then you better choose who you're serving because something's wrong with you. You see, you can see it as evil to serve the Lord. What I'm saying right now, people are sitting there thinking, you see, man, he's preaching hard bonded. That ain't love because God wants you to love and enjoy life. So what I'm saying right now is going to seem like evil to people that have no intentions on serving the Lord. So Joshua says, okay. Fine. Here's what we need to do. Choose you this day who you will serve. So they're being given the same thing that Moses had to deal with. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, hey, either you coming or you not. But I'm not going to continue to play these games. Because if you're going to be with the Amorites, you need to get back over on the other side of the river. Don't bring it in the church. Don't bring it in amongst the believers. Keep, stay where you are if you have no intentions on coming over. I mean, the devil has always met us with opposition. Yep. Verse 16, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and, when, and, when, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, uh, which dwelt in the land. Therefore we'll, we'll, <laughs> therefore we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. Uh, he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done to, um, he hath done he hath done you good. 
So if God has done you good and you want to go back to evil, now we know this is the old covenant, okay? So I'm just bringing up the point that God does forgive our sins if we are faithful and just to, I mean, to ask for forgiveness and repent. That means turning away because the Bible makes clear the wages of sin is death. So don't think we can keep playing around in sin and there won't be consequences. There are always consequences to sins that we commit, okay? But if we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us, but he's not going to pardon it. Mean what? It means you can't go by him without repenting. He's not going to overlook your sin, okay? You may not be condemned or damned to hell for it, but he's not going to, uh, what do you call it? He's not going to overlook it. You're going to have to come before him and repent. Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. Lord, forgive me and announce the thing that you have done. And he will pardon you to move forward, not to go back to where you were. And that's why Jesus told that woman caught in the act of adultery. He says, I don't hold your sins against you. Neither does anyone else here. But go and sin no more. Because we're not going to play this jumping back and forth on which side of the river. Eventually, God will raise a standard and you'll end up staying. And whatever side you land on, that's where you'll be. All right? So, anyway, you know, he told the people and they said they would do it. And it said, and the people said unto Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away, he said, the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice will, um, will we obey. And Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them in statute and set, and, and, um, set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And, and that's what we're reading right now. And took a great stone and set it up there under an oak uh, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So who do you think that great stone was? You know, and put it under an oak. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. For it, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Sarah, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash. So notice he was buried on the north side of the hill. So you can pretty much say Joshua made it into the kingdom. You see, he was buried in the north. All right. And then at verse 31, and Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord and he had done for Israel and the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt buried they in Shechem in the parcel of ground uh, which Jacob brought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became an inheritance of the children of Joseph. 
Okay, uh, and Eleazar the son of Aaron died, and they buried him in the hill that pertaineth to Phineas his son, which was given him uh, in Mount Ephraim. Now you know we all we got to do is go another chapter or two, and go to the book of Judges, and it automatically tells you that they did not abide in what Joshua told them to. So this is what the devil does today. He might have got your parents to cross over, or God got them to. But the devil knows all I got to do is wait a couple of generations that I can inject more lies, more filth, more doctrine that's false to turn the people back onto the world and to follow him. So you see, Joshua made it very clear on one side of things, that's the world. On the other side are the people of God that want to inherit the land. Now, we're going to even bring this into the New Testament to even prove this point. But if you notice, even when Samuel... I mean, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath fought. Where were they? On one side of the valley, and the others were on the other side of the valley. The two never come together. They will always be at war. We're talking flesh and spirit. We're talking the world, and we're talking, you know, following the Lord. They do not run together. So let's go to uh, Matthew 8, and let's look at verse 18. Exactly. So let's start in verse 14. And it says, And when Jesus was come to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the evening was come, that's what even means, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. Uh, that it might be fulfilled in the, uh, which was spoken in, uh, by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And you know that's Isaiah 53. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds have air. I mean, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. So as you can see, Jesus is making clear, because he's about to cross over. Where is he going? To the other side. And these people said, I'll follow you. Jesus said, okay, if you follow me, that don't mean you're going to have a home. All right? Because I don't have a place to come and make reservations where you can stay and do whatever. I'm letting you know when I go to the other side, it's just going to be you and me. All right? And that person never answered him. Then he said to another one, he said, man, you're going to bury your father. He said, man, let the dead bury their dead and come and follow me. But you see, Jesus was detaching them 
from physical, carnal, worldly things. Even your father is not enough to hold things up here. You know, there is nothing. And that's why when they ask Jesus, you know, when they say your mother and your brethren are here to see you, he said, because Jesus was already baptized in the spirit and in ministry. Who is my mother and who are my brethren? Then he turned to the disciples. The same that doeth the will of God, they are the ones who are my father, my mother, and my brethren. I mean, well, he said my mother and my brethren, his family. Okay, so those who follow the Lord are the ones that he's looking for. And when he was entered into the ship, his disciples followed him. So those that heard that, that knew that, okay, this is what's going to happen if we cross over with Jesus, they followed him. His disciples followed him. Those that were disciplined, that lived a life after Christ, that denied themselves, followed Jesus. Yep. All right, so they followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest of the sea. Look at the giants. Not giants, but this is how the devil works. <laughs> he had a great tempest of the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. So Jesus didn't care, because Jesus knew he could deal with that at any time. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds of the sea obey him? So as you cross over with Jesus, the devil is going to try and stop you from believing on the other side. But because they stayed with Jesus and they asked him for his help, Jesus rebuked the winds. They got to see this because they were following Christ, not reading stories about it. They actually went where he went so their faith can grow. Verse 28, and when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him too. So as soon as he made it to the other side, who met him? Devils. Exactly. It says, they met him too, possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. So the devil says, I'm going to stop you here, and I'm going to stop you now. You are not getting through. So he brought two coming out of the tombs. Now, we really know that this is one. This is the, this is the uh, story of Mark chapter 5 and the gathering demoniac, okay, where... There was a man possessed with demons. So that's what he means by two. There was the man and there was also the demons that were in the man. So he says they were exceeding fierce. And look at what it says. Um, possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. So the devil was trying to stop them from going any further into crossing over. And behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? So that was the demon speaking. That wasn't the man. And there was a good way off from them. And there was a good way off from them, a herd of swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. Now, this is an interesting point, too, that I just looked up, that if God is looking, if Jesus was about to cast out the demons, and the demons are asking, they saw a herd of swine afar off. 
So the herd of swine were not near Jesus nor his disciples. It's very interesting here that he gave them the permission to go into the swine. Now, what does the Bible say about those who return back to sin? What does the Bible say about those who are unbelievers? That they're like infidels, that they're like swine. So what's interesting here that the demons ask, well, can we go into here? And the herd of swine weren't near Jesus because he's not near anything filthy. So he, he okayed them to go into the swine, which are those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, which are those who are not righteous, which are those who would be considered Gentiles that were not wanting to follow after Christ. Isn't that funny? He said, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. So you see those that would permit demons in them, the only way the demons can lead you was down into a steep place to perish. And they that kept uh, them fled and went their way into the city and told everything and what was befallen the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. So as you can see, because I don't want to make the whole thing a herd of swine to do with unbelievers, but it's very interesting how God did a good work. Jesus did an amazing work here to free this man that was caught up with the demons. And what happened? They did not want him to go. They didn't want him to do any more work. So these people were happy with an insane man running around scaring people, doing stuff. That was normal to them. Just how we can love this world, even though there's murder, maiming, I mean, pedophilia, homosexuality, you name it. Nothing you can have in this world full of evil, full of banks cheating you out of your money, everything. Corrupt government, you know, you name it. But this is what they want. That's normal to them. But when it came time to pursue Jesus and follow his righteousness, they asked Jesus to leave. Mm -hmm. You see, so they don't want to cross over. They don't want what God has in store for them. And this is where people fall short of the glory of the Lord. Matthew 14. Matthew 14, and let's look at verse 13. Matthew 14, and we'll begin at verse 13, and it says, when Jesus heard of it, okay, because this is where they told Jesus that John the Baptist was dead, okay, John the Baptist was killed, his disciples ran to Jesus and told him, now when Jesus knew that John the Baptist was dead, this is important for us to recognize, he knew that his ministry was going to go to another place. Why? Because now that the testator is dead, the person that told you about me, I'm going to continue on and do what I need to do to show people that still may have some doubt, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I am the son of the living God. Okay, so now it's time to really pull out power. Now it's time to really bring the people into greater faith. Because this is John the Baptist's disciples. All right, anyway, let me make the point. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place. So he went into a wilderness, okay, apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth. So where did they follow him? Out of the cities, out of the world. 
And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. So Jesus said, They don't need to go anywhere. I'm going to sustain them in this wilderness, just like he did in the past. Mm -hmm. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the fragments and remained 12 baskets full. So when God's government is in place, that number 12 means government. He gave it to the disciples, the disciples provided for the people, and they still had 12 baskets full, even after he fed this mass. And look how many were fed, verse 21. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men, beside women and children. So this is important that we understand this. Jesus didn't perform the miracle in the city where there were things that they could have eaten, where there was clean water, where there was this where there was that. He went into the desert place, into the wilderness, so that they could have more faith to follow him and leave Egypt behind. He went there, they came after him, he supplied them and gave them extra. So we got to ask ourselves, why won't God do miracles in my life? And that's mostly because you trust and believe in the world. You believe that the world is taking care of you and giving you all that you need so there's no need for God to pull out all the stops and do this. There's no need for God to feed 5,000 because you're home shopping at Winco or Safeway for yourself. You understand what I'm saying? So you're being sustained by your own will instead of pursuing God and finding out what would happen if I really had nothing. You see, the story of Numbers 14 and this is the same thing. He took them into the wilderness to have faith. Why? So that they might inherit the promise, believe in Christ. But these people didn't even cross over. So the first crossing here in Matthew 14 was from the cities unto a desert place. But as we're going to see, he's not done yet. He's getting ready to do something else. Is that rain? All right, so verse 21, And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now, why did he send the multitudes away? Because they were not followers of Christ. He sustained them in the wilderness with food, but the disciples were pursuing him for much more. So now he's taking those who are true followers of his to the other side. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's find out what happens over here. To the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So notice there are not a lot of people on this journey. There's only a remnant that will believe and go forward. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So he even needed some time for himself. 
But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. So what were those guys out there doing? Probably fishing. Jesus went to a mountainous place on the other side to pray. He's, he's going deeper in with his father, praying, maybe fasting, but he's spending some alone time to get into the spirit. All right, and it says, um, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, unto the disciples, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But Jesus straightway, I mean, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So sometimes when we go on into spiritual things, things can get a little scary on that end. So you see how they managed to believe him in the wilderness, the miracles. But now they're crossing over into a whole nother plane where physical laws, carnal laws, carnal rules, carnal, uh, you know, fruit like they had before. Or like in Joshua's time, they had to eat the manna where they were because it was no good in the promise. These laws that'll tell you, you cannot walk through physical objects. It is impossible for you to walk on liquid, okay, without sinking. Those laws don't apply over here. This is a whole new plane, a new and living way, a greater existence in God that you need to be able to, to believe God. So remember when he told them with the fig tree, if I curse it, nothing shall be impossible unto you. You should be able to do the same thing. If you're in the spirit. All right. So that's where he's walking on the sea. And he said, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water. So he wanted to go. Peter wasn't just happy in the boat. Peter said, Lord, if what you say is true on the other side, man, then let me have the faith to walk out there with you. And all the guys are just sitting there in the boat. That's why I love Peter. He might have denied Christ and came back strong, but Peter was always that assertive one, always willing. You never heard of Peter really with no faith except when Jesus was crucified. But outside of that, Peter was like, man, let me get out the boat. Let me see if this is real. Why am I going to be settling for this and what I saw instead of becoming a participant and going forward and doing it? Why would I want to be in the wilderness cheering on Jesus in the promised land when I can get full of Jesus and cross over myself? Anyway, let me make the point. So he says, um, and, and, um, and he said, and Jesus said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So Peter's doing it too. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. So as you can see, now that you go back to carnality, there's no more wind. See, the, the, the uh, wind didn't move when Jesus was, well, the wind was there, but Jesus was walking on the sea. But Satan said, I'm not letting anybody have faith to believe this. Satan made sure, okay, I'm going to have the wind blowing. I'm going to bring his mind back to his surroundings and off of Jesus. Because if he starts to believe this, 
then I've got someone else to fight against. And that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to fight the life of Christ away from you because he doesn't want you to be leaving. So he'll give you a job making two million a year. And he'll give you anything you want in this life. But God forbid, do not go over there and start to believe Jesus. Because once you go over there, I have no more control over you. I only control the wilderness and I control Egypt. If you step outside of the first and second heaven and you get throne room level with Christ in the third heaven, I can't control you anymore. Your pipeline goes directly to God. And that's, that's what the devil is trying to fight us from doing. So as soon as he got in the um, ship, yeah, the wind ceased. Yeah, because now you're back to carnality. There's no need to terrify you. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came uh, into the land of uh, Gerrit. What is it? Uh, Genesaret. I guess it's Genesaret or Genesaret. And uh, when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. So these people believe God. After all that stuff, these people said, man, you ain't even got to heal me. Just touch the hem of my garment. I mean, just let me touch your garment and you'll be made whole. And they were diseased. And these people believe God. So what does the devil do? Keep you going back to the medical world. Keep you seeking after medications and things like that. Why? Because you start to believe those things will sustain you. But what we need to know is what is on the other side? What does God have for me? Let's get this thing going for real that we may believe him. Let's go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, and let's look at verse 1. And it says, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting, desired him that he, that he would shew them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, yea, I mean, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Uh, o ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. So these guys were trying to get Jesus to perform for them, and that's what we got to stop doing when people tell you, let me hear you speak in tongues. Let me see you do this. Oh, if you're really a believer, why don't you lay hands on the sick and prove it and see what happens? See, we can't allow ourselves to get caught up in this because then you're obeying the devil and not Christ. But he says, a wicked and perverse generation seeks after a son. And this is why a lot of people will not leave Egypt in pursuit of Christ. They will not pursue because they'll say, well, if the Lord really wants me to go, He's going to show me a sign that I might go. You see how that works? 
They think that, you know, oh, well, the Lord is going to actually physically come down and fly me out of there. So therefore, that would make the most sense. You're looking for a sign, but you're not given the sign. The sign was already given that, you know, for us, not for these people, but that Christ would die, be buried, and be resurrected unto glory. That death would have no life over us or no power over us that we can pursue Jesus. That's the only sign you're getting. Verse 5, And when his disciples would come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. <laughs> so you see, they still don't get it, even after all Jesus did. They didn't realize, okay, now that we're on the other side, we forgot to take bread. Verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven, and the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he's saying, stop believing like them. Stop thinking that you need to be sustained by carnal means and pursuing them and their unbelief. That's why he said, hey, beware of them. Basically, what he told them is, I'm the bread of life. As you pursue me and follow me, you'll be okay. So stop acting like you need to take this and that with you. If I'm with you, then I will sustain. Just like I've done way before the other end of the flood, as I'm doing with you today. Said, man, don't think like them. Verse 7, and they reason among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. Which, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. Do ye yet not understand, neither remember the five loaves and the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, um, and how many baskets ye took up. How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that, uh, how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So you see, a lot of people are going to fight me over this. I know I'm going to receive messages and people are going to say, well, you know what, you're preaching hard, that's not for today. But Jesus said, beware of that teaching. Because as long as you've got me and you believe me, you've got everything. And you know, this is something you can actually share with somebody else who's been on your case lately. But this is something that you can actually explain to them about having Christ. Not about being sustained by other things. It's about pursuing him. Sarah knows what I'm talking about. Verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? I mean, that I, the Son of Man, am. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some said Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah, Elijah, or uh, one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom do ye say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, uh, and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So where are we supposed to get eventually? To the point of believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what we've got to get. That's what we've got to understand. Because he said flesh and blood couldn't have revealed this to you. Because flesh and blood don't know Jesus. 
Flesh and blood doesn't worship Jesus. Flesh and blood doesn't believe Jesus. So he said, that had to come from my father. All right, so verse 18. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then was he talking about building it on the rock of Peter? No, building it on the faith of Peter. Peter believing that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's what he pushed for everyone else. So he said, upon that rock, upon Peter's belief, upon, upon believing that I'm the son of God, this is where the church is going to be built up. But if you don't believe he's the son of God, like most false religions don't, you know, then you can't believe Jesus. You can't have God. And he said, I built this church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. So this is what we got to recognize in being with God. 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are the keys of heaven? The Holy Ghost, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples, and they should tell that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth Jesus began to shew unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So notice, Peter noticed who he was. Then he began to tell them, guys, now that you know who I am, now I'm going to tell you what I must do. Okay, and this is where Christians back away. Because the Bible says, as Christ is, we ought to be. So you see, once they know that he's Christ and he says, okay, now follow me. You see people backing away like, Nah, man, I don't know about this, you know, because I, I mean, dying, I thought this was about bringing the good news. It is good news. You get to leave this God-forsaken hellhole, which is not of Christ. Yep. All right, so anyway, in verse 23, or verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. So now Peter is going against the very thing that he was standing for because of his misunderstanding. So he's going to grab Jesus and think that he's saying something positive, but he didn't understand Jesus had to endure, just like we do. We don't understand. When we tell people, you know what, I'm going to go and minister for the Lord, and if it be my life, so be it. My life is hidden in Christ. That's faith talking. But what will people say to you? You know need to go or, or you're crazy or you need to you know what i rebuke that in the name of jesus because that just sounds like defeat that's hatred you're gonna believe no god can do anything let me tell you something god can keep you from all the hurt and i don't care what you've done god will you ever see people looking at you and talking that way but they don't understand they're standing against the very purpose of what god wants so their emotions are working. No, because God does not mean for you to go somewhere and die. I rebuke that, and I'm going to proclaim. See, they're fighting against the very will that God has. Caught up in their emotions. Why? They're in the wilderness. Or they're back in Egypt at best. All right, so look at verse 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not 
the things that be of God, but those that are of men. I mean, those that be of men. Then, um, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me. So he's letting them know once again. All right, y'all heard what Peter said, and you heard what I said. And if any of you believes the same, you're welcome to go right back across the river. So he's making it very clear to them, if you be with me, then you got to understand what this thing is about. This is not about emotion. So he said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But whoso, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. But what is a, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So that's important that we understand this thing is about getting out of your will and letting God's will be done. And that's why some Christians today, the power is lacking. We only go but so far because we're not willing to yield to the Lord and let him take us across that Jordan that we can inherit eternal life. You got a lot of false doctrine today. You got a lot of garbage being preached today telling people that they can stay where they are. Oh, it don't mean anything. God knows your heart. You can give as little as you can. And, you know, we all don't make the same. So God will give you to be faithful with what you have. He will. But God is talking about progression. But you see, why walk this walk half-hearted? Why half-step in this walk? Because you see, anyone that half-stepped in this walk, in this Bible, and in this lesson tonight, none of them made it in. But for those who are wholehearted, follow God fully, that wanted to pursue him and do what he said, those were the people that made it in. Okay, you guys can read John 6 in your spare time when Jesus said that you are to sup with me, that you are to drink of the waters that are freely given, that, that he is the bread of life, he sustains. And that was the mass of 5,000. They went over into the spirit. Well, that was the mass of 4,000. They went over into the spirit looking for Jesus. They found him, but when they got there, they wanted carnal things. Jesus had already dismissed that. He's past that point. Guys, you need to pursue me. You need to be into me. The words that I'm giving you, they are spirit and they are life. If you drink of my blood, of my, if you eat of my flesh and you drink of my blood, that I will live in you and my father and I will make our abode in you, that you will be raised on that last day. And what did they say? This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? They didn't want Jesus. They wanted what they can get from Jesus, just like people of the world today. You know why you won't cross over? Because you know it takes a life for a life. And you want to live and sustain yours here so you don't have to go over there that Christ can live in you and work through you. What did he say in John 6? Many people on that day, you know, from that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And that's when um, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, and that, that occurred in John 6, 66. So these people chose the mark of the beast then to pursue Jesus. And Jesus turned to the disciples. Will you be going too? And Peter said, I love Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. 
And that's the conclusion that we've got to get to. But like he said, didn't I choose 12 of you and one of you was a devil? So there will be unbelievers in the midst. There's nothing you can do about that. You just got to remain faithful and pursue God. But stop eating of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees that never intended to serve Jesus, never had any faith in him, and wanted to stick to the old law, okay, and what they knew other than to seek the new and living way. So let's not be them. And I just want to say with that, I love you all. Hopefully you have an understanding of what we were talking about concerning the other side. We've got to get to the spirit. The Bible made clear in Romans 8, without faith, I mean, no, he says that um, them that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God in the flesh. You've got to be in the spirit. Mm -hmm. And what did he say? For them that are without faith can't please God. It's impossible to please him without faith. So we've got to learn to believe God and trust him that we may get to that other side. So Sarah's going to present, and then from there we're going to close in prayer. Praise the Lord. All right, I'm going to have us go to Amos 5. We're going to start at verse 16. Amos 5 and 16. Praise the Lord. And it's just, it's so true. You know, we've, we've really got to, uh, we've really got to get there. Because if any, if anyone just has two eyeballs in their head that can see, you can, unless you're, there's something really wrong with you, how can people not see the evil around us? I mean, the mass genocides of people and, and you know, the injections that they're giving kids these days that cause them to be crazy. And you see it all the time with where you work. And so it's like... Five and 16. Five and 16. I see it. I see it at my job. And you just see it when we used to work security. You know, you saw it all the time. So it's like, how can people not see this? And that's what people don't understand. The wilderness is for a limited time only. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, Egypt was eventually they will be taken down and taken out. God wants us to move forward because Egypt nor the wilderness is going into the promised land. It's not going to happen. And many people have full believing that lie. Amos 5 and verse 16. Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord saith thus, Wailing shall be in all the streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, and they shall call the husbandmen to mourning, and such as are skillful for lamenting of wailing. And in all vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not, and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion, and a bear met him. Or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit and a serpent bit him. So the day of the Lord is and it's talking about here. The Lord will pass. The Lord will pass in judgment. So we know that the day of the Lord is at hand for us, mm-hmm. and we knew that with the children of Israel, the day of the Lord was upon them. 
And when the day of the Lord finally did come upon them where he said, you know, why should I punish you any longer because it's not doing you any good? Mm -hmm. And at that time, they were actually taken away with ships and they were scattered abroad. So he constantly gives us reminders with the children of Israel, like basically we're in the new Egypt now because everything that, you know, you said tonight, Egypt was a place of discomfort for the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. Well, for the Christian... And for those that can see and want to become Christians, America, this land that we're living in today, is a, is a land of discomfort for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. You know, we should not be comfortable here. If we see all this evil that's going on around us, like you were saying, it's true. Why would we want to stay here? And so the children of Israel were constantly going against God, and they were constantly saying, why don't we do this? Why don't we go back? And he's like, all right, fine. If that's what you want to do, I'm going to just continue, discontinue you from being a nation altogether. Mm -hmm. And one day I'm going to raise up myself a new people, a remnant that will follow after me. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, why do you seek the day of the Lord? Because it is a day of darkness. A lot of people are saying today, oh man, I cannot wait for the day of the Lord to come. Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. You better read the scriptures. It's not going to be a happy day. No, a <laughs> All right, verse 20. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? even very dark and no brightness in it i hate i despise your feast days and i will not smell in your solemn assemblies though ye offer me burnt offerings and meat offerings i will not accept them neither will i regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts take away take thou away from me the noise of thy songs for i will not hear the melody of thy viols and viols is like string instruments it makes you want to really get violins and whatever mm. but uh, reading these verses here, it really hit me that today people are offering up false sacrifices to the Lord, and they're singing these praise and worship songs, and there's nothing behind them outside of the fact that they're just simply singing. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, no, there's no anguish behind it. It's just mm -hmm. a ritual. Mm -hmm. They're just going and doing it because it's like some religious checkoff check list for mm -hmm. them. And, and so that's why I said, why are you, don't even, I don't want to hear your songs. I don't want to hear your, I don't want to smell your burnt offerings because it doesn't mean anything. You're not really meaning what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. Verse 24, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Now you know where Martin Luther King got there from. That was in his I Have a Dream speech. Oh. He even stole that from Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 25, have you offered unto me sacrifice and offerings in the wilderness 40 years? I didn't even realize this is a part of it, O house of Israel. But ye have borne the tabernacles of your Moloch and Chion. And Chion is like the image of uh, Ashtaroth or uh, Venus. Mm -hmm. uh, and Chion, your image, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves. So they were constantly going after Moloch worship and so worshiping Venus mm -hmm. and doing all these other things. And, and like you were talking about tonight, they're trying to worship God and the world at the same time. We cannot do that. And so this mm -hmm. is why he judged them, and this is why he's coming back to judge this world. In okay. verse 27, Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the, is, whose name is the God of hosts. So with that, I just want to, you know, tell people, even for the, the Christian today, you know, we really have to, like you were saying tonight, 
I mean, we really have to get in with the Lord and, you know, not fight against him, not fight against his will, but do his will. And if people hate you for it, you know what? He even said, if they hate you, that's because they hated me first. These are the Lord's words. Mm -hmm. So we can't be offended by it, but, you know, we just got to do it. Amen. All right. Looks like we're dealing with a nice little thunderstorm out there while we were praying. So hopefully it's the Lord speaking and bringing down his spirit because we could use it right now. Amen. All right, let's pray up. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just want to come to you this day in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. And Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace and your mercy and your long-suffering upon us and all those that believe in you. But, Lord Jesus, we got to understand the anguish. There has to be a real anguish within us for the things that are going on around us, Lord God, because if we're not trying to live after you, and if we're not trying to do your will, Lord God, then where is our faith? Because, Lord Jesus Christ, we have to really question within ourselves that if we say that we have faith and we have not had any desire to change our life, are we truly saved? Or is it just some religious antics that we're told that we have to do? Lord God, we have to open up our eyes and to see the truth, no matter who it goes against. Because the truth is going to go against the spirit of Antichrist. Your truth, Lord God, is going to go against Satan's kingdom and his demonic spirits and his fallen angels, Lord Jesus. We cannot go according to what the history has been told to us our entire life if it goes against your truth. We have to wake up. Take the veil off of our eyes, Lord Jesus Christ, and cleanse us out and get rid of the garbage that's in our minds that we see you the only true and living God. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter the laws that have been passed, Lord Jesus Christ. It all goes against your word. This society hates you. It's not built upon you. But that is why we must be built, be built upon you, the rock of our salvation, Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to stand firmly upon you. And that is why, Lord God, we must cry and call out to you that you will search us out, Lord Jesus Christ, the deep places of our life where we don't even know where sin lies. As it said that Joshua, Lord God, the people had to be healed. They had to be made whole before they could go into the promised land. So the same thing is for us, Lord Jesus Christ. How can we go into your promised land, the most holy of holies, if we're not healed? And we've got to stop hiding behind the pain. We've got to stop hiding behind the hurt and what someone did to us in our past. Forgive them and move on into your glory, Lord Jesus. Because there is a world today, Lord God, people out on the streets going to hell because we're bound up in a religious work instead of a relationship with you. So free us, Lord Jesus Christ, that you will fill us with your Holy Ghost. Yes, Lord. Give us builders, Lord God, that this ministry will be built upon your kingdom and established thereon, Lord. But I pray that we stop wasting any more of your time and that we will follow after you and stop faking it, Lord. Because the almost, and that I thought about doing it, will not get us into the kingdom of heaven. It is obedience unto the end, even the death of the cross, if that is what it takes, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you, Lord, that we can 
get in closer with you with the time that we have left, Jesus. Continue to strengthen and build up our armor as we press forward into the spiritual warfare. Lord, I God, I pray that you will set us through that furnace of affliction to purge off the world the old man and that we can be raised up in the new man, which is Christ Jesus, in us. That when the world sees us, they don't look at us, Lord, but they see you in us. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.